Welcome to PhD Booth. This is Liz. This is Zain Yao, and we're a podcast about academia, culture, and social justice across the STEM humanities divide. That's right. We're both PhDs and fans of lipstick. And this week, we'll be talking to you guys about how to finish your graduate program. So if you remember earlier, we actually did a session about tips for people who are just starting. And then we thought, you know, we're both people who successfully finished. And (laughs) yes, somebody please thank us. Some people just acknowledge. (laughs) So we thought, why don't we actually share some tips about how we actually finished our PhDs? Because finishing can be hard, (laughs) to say the least. Yeah. In the process, Zion and I will probably share some of our own experiences about how it was that we got to finish and then how we made decisions on moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think this is such an important conversation because it seems like every program, no matter what the discipline is, like people care about time to degree and shortening time to degree more than ever. Mm. Does that seem right, Liz? So is that from, for you, is that for, from the administrative part of point of view or from like... Yeah, well, at least definitely all self. over the humanities, no, um, people are being told from administrators to departments, like, you have to reduce time to degree. And so that means mm-hmm. like, because there's fewer resources, there's less funding, people are trying to figure out how can they restructure exams, coursework, prospectuses, all that type of stuff so that people can finish faster. And this itself is like a whole interesting conversation about not just about individual ability, but about like structural support to finish that I think is sometimes like not quite understood. Right. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I think in the STEM side, I haven't, actually it depends. And I'll I'll say that because in engineering, I think it's not, it's um, feasible to finish in, five years, mm-hmm. five and a half. I think that's like a acceptable range of when people are finishing. Some people finish later. Some people do six years. Some people, but a very small population of people, I would say finish in four. But <laughs> I, I think five and a half is like an average. I think if you get into like the seven year range or above, that's really abnormal. Mm-hmm. Um. And I guess it's kind of hard to say that it's looked down upon because it's just so abnormal. Oh, okay. But but it might be. Um, well, I guess what I'm really trying to say is that that experience might be so unique that that's like a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. But that said, on the flip side, if you go to, let's say, bio, a biology PhD, the average is probably seven years or neuroscience, seven years. Oh, why is that? So, um, so biology processes just take longer to solve and mm-hmm. to figure out in general. So there's a range depending on what field you're in. There's a field specific time to degree, mm-hmm. and and as such, different lengths of time that are considered like acceptable or like, hey, you're kind of pushing it, kind of thing. What I have seen departments cracking down on is that time scale in which you do your um, your preliminary exam, like your qualifier or like at Cornell, they did A and B exam. So your doctoral proposal, your thesis proposal mm-hmm. exam. So there are some people where like your program gets relaxed and they say, oh, just do whatever you want. 
and now I, I hear more more people from different institutions going like, no, you have to do it at year two and you have to do this by year three. You know, be more consult cons be more concise about when you actually take those exams. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that um, for the humanities, it's quite different because I believe the national statistic, and when they say national, I think it's just the U.S. Uh, for time to degree in the humanities is nine years. And at Cornell, we're doing much better. I think it's average like six-ish years, but it's also like mm-hmm. when funding like gets cut out. Uh, I don't know if I've ever really heard of anyone finishing in, in, less, than five, uh, in less than five years. Uh, it's pretty rare. I'd also say that also a quick note is that in can, the Canadian context, because the masters and PhDs are usually separate, uh, the PhD is only supposed to be four years. But even though it's only four years, and so funding I think is only guaranteed for four years, it still takes people, I think, like six years just because... I think that's the amount of time wow. that it takes to do the type of research we need to do. Yeah. I, I think that there's, what? we're talking a lot about at the moment. We're just talking more about the, the administrative side, but I think there's such a psychological toll that I've psychological and personal toll that I've seen it take on people that take longer. Like rarely is it because like, I haven't seen anyone do it because they're lazy. Instead it's because of, you know, personal tragedy, different life circumstances change. Um, it becomes, it's hard uh, yeah. finishing a PhD. It's not, I feel like it's definitely feels different than finishing like an undergrad degree. Would you say so, Liz? I think so. I, I recently had a conversation with a friend and there were a group of us talking and we, I guess two of us had finished in time frames that we thought made sense Mm -hmm. and one person actually was a I think she finished in her ninth year Mm -hmm. she finished her PC in her ninth year and we were talking and I think it wasn't until the end that I kind of realized that the way that we were talking about how we finished our PhDs and how we were able to get through in a way made her feel as if she wasn't trying to graduate any sooner Mm. like she didn't have any like, oh, she was a bad student or she did something wrong to somehow still be a grad student nine after nine years. And so I guess what I would say about that is, is that, one, whatever time it takes you to graduate is the exact time that you need. Mm-hmm. And, and try not to be – so there are social norms. Let's not, I'm not going to pretend like those don't exist. But as long as you are having this conversation with your mentor and you're having that kind of support, then the actual time it takes you shouldn't, hopefully, shouldn't matter. I feel like a hypocrite, though, because when I was trying to graduate, I was so stressed out and I was actually pushing for graduation because I didn't think I could survive another year. Mm -hmm. So, So I know that everyone is different and I also know that sometimes you're not gonna be in sync with your advisor. So, yeah, I don't know where this is going. I feel like there's two scenarios here and two scenarios that dictate how well your PhD is going to end. So one is where you and your advisor, and Zion, correct me, I don't know if this actually translates to the humanities side, Mm -hmm. but if you and your advisor get along extremely well, if you have the same goals, um, if you have funding, you're probably going to graduate fairly easily without mm-hmm. really having to fight. It's when you and your advisor don't agree. So you don't agree on what can what it means to be done with your PhD. 
So that could either be you think you're done now and they think you need a year or more, or it could be they think you're done now and you think, no, I need a year longer so that I can be competitive, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Either situation is not good. If you don't have funding and your advisor doesn't want to pay for you, um, or they're not supporting you in the ways you, that you need to su- be supported, then then those are issues that make trying to graduate very, very difficult. And it takes such a huge psychological toll. Like, I think that can't be emphasized enough. Like, I think in our podcast, we do really try to emphasize self-care and the importance of mental health. But, like, this is definitely something that I've seen weigh on so many people. Um, yeah. I was also going to say that I think one thing is also difficult about this shift, like, this more pressure on, like, finishing time degree faster because it helps programs, like, in terms of funding, but also, I think, in terms of their rankings, is that like a lot of our professors who are really established came from a time where they had longer time, they had more time in their PhD. And so I feel like there's often, there's sometimes a generational difference also that like they could expect a certain quality of say of a dissertation or a certain amount of publications because it was normal to get, they take eight years. Mm-hmm. And like, and that's sort of like the norm for the, those, that generation that went through it. And sometimes there can be this disconnect that they don't quite understand that like, like they know on one level that the administration is telling them to push my push get our PhDs out in five years, but what does that actually mean to the quality of their work? Are you still demanding the same things from them? What does it mean for quality of life? What does it mean for their financial circumstances? What does it mean that the job market perhaps looks so different than when your advisor or other committee members went on? Like I think there's very different levels of of savvy that um, established professors have in terms of what the realities are in the programs and on the job market as it is today compared to when they were put on it yeah I think what happens in STEM is pre-tenure versus after tenure people their priorities tend to change so before tenure faculty (laughs) they are really stressed they're trying to pump out lots of research lots of grants so they will also want lots of students. So you may be worked harder than someone who, who than an advisor who's post-tenure. And their time to graduation might also be shorter pre-tenure than it is post-tenure because it looks good for them to have graduated students. Mm-hmm. So, so you might actually see this like going out of sale or pre-tenure to pretend your sale where you graduate at the same time that your advisor is submitting their tenure package oh, okay. so they can say they've graduated students. Uh-huh. And what will happen then is that after tenure, they're more relaxed. Um, they can focus more on what their goals are, their research goals, and not really trying to like please the man, quote unquote. And then they may actually extend their their uh, graduation requirements. So they may say, oh, well, now you did it in five, but, you know, I want you to do some more work. And, like, let's go, let's do more and more. So I want you to graduate in seven. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So so those dynamics can happen, and it can be misleading because if everyone graduated before you in five years, you would naturally expect to graduate in five years. So the, the biggest thing that will tell you what your time of graduation would be is looking at the other people in the lab and asking what their average was. Mm-hmm. And so that's really where you'll know. And if, and if you, 
are right in the middle of that pre-tenure, post-tenure, it can be difficult to really know because I, in my experience, a lot of faculty change behavior and directions after they get tenure. Mm-hmm. I'd also add that um, maybe this would get getting to the district, like how to write the dissertation part. This is, it can't be said enough. There's a perfect dissertation and then there are done dissertations. Yes. So many people get oh. caught up in it being a perfect document when, especially in the humanities, you're going to have to revise it anyways for a book proposal. Like you're going to have to change it. It will never be this perfect object because you're going to continue evolving. Your work's going to continue evolving. And so like definitely that's something that I see that people get in this this mindset, like everything has to be absolutely perfect. Or even if they don't have it, sometimes they have committee members who expect that level from them. And unfortunately I've known people who work with committee members who um, got their degree, got their tenure, tenure track jobs, full professorships, in a very different time and they don't feel the same squeeze as time to degree. And often there's class differences that they might come from very wealthy backgrounds. So for them, it's not just that they don't know that yet they don't really understand the pressures on graduate students to finish within a certain amount of time because of funding. They just don't comprehend the material circumstances that have an impact on graduate student lives that you can't just infinitely keep revising a chapter, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I know this awful story about <laughs> this one faculty member who um, the student had turned in a dissertation, and then when the committee members thought, oh, you know what, this could really use a discussion, like an extra discussion, just add 10 more pages about some random topic, and the student had enough, and the student actually didn't, He they left without getting their PhD because of those 10 pages, and I heard about this story from the faculty member himself and, you know, for him, he was trying to tell me about how I should really care about what I was writing. And all I heard was, I can't believe this person submitted all their pipe, all their papers, presented a document and you were going to, and you literally just let him go for 10 pages of something that no one yeah, probably is going to ever read. Yeah, or were those 10 pages truly essential for what was happening in the thesis? Um, So if we had to break this down into some tips, we had a few things that we wanted to talk about. One, um, and these might be part and parcel, but... (laughs) Also, like, Liz has this list list and I don't, so I'm curious to hear it, too. (laughs) Well, no, it's not a list. It's 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 um, it's an iPhone note. Okay, okay. But... So at the end of your PhD, it's really the time to reinforce your communication with your advisor. So sometimes there's a natural tendency that when you are upset or depressed, when you don't feel like you're being doing very well as a student or you don't like your PI, you may not want to talk to them. So you might start doing, you you may start avoiding going to lab or interacting with people or avoiding your PI or your advisor. And that's actually the opposite of what you should be doing because not talking to your advisor is the one way to make sure that you're not going to be graduating because you're not communicating about your goals. And the other thing about the communication is that when you're talking to them, make sure it's actually communication and not like kind of passive aggressive talking over each other. So make sure you kind of go in there and talk about, so what are the goals? What do I need to do to graduate? Um, or if it's looking over a document, asking for that feedback that you need and demanding the feedback. Really, don't leave without it. 
Because if you don't do those things, you're not going to be any closer to graduating. Right? I mean, yeah. so, I mean no, I totally most agree. people, totally. when they're upset, they don't want to talk to their advisor. And yeah. that's the opposite of what they should do. Yeah. Can I add a point, too? Absolutely. Okay, so we're talking about, again, mental health as a big one. Another thing I feel like can't be emphasized enough that when I when I read it go around, I think it may have been an article on Insider Ed or something, or even just like a meme. Sometimes it isn't writer's block. Sometimes it's depression. Mm, yes. And I know that definitely is, I, I guess it, uh, your response indicates also like a STEM thing, but like it's like it's it's so easy to, to internalize when you're like having difficulty with writing that has something to do with like some personal problem that you are and some like failure as a human being. It isn't. You might not, it's because you might not be getting the resources you need and like you deserve help. You deserve care. Please, mm-hmm. please reach out. If not to your advisor, um, hopefully like your university health center um, has a counseling service. I know that at Cornell, there was, I think particularly like, um, like mental health support groups specifically for graduate students who are working on finishing. And there's like a lot of uh, resources I think that Cornell was starting to put into place like uh, dissertation boot camps and other things that mm-hmm. are trying to increasingly realize that this last push like requires a lot a lot of help and it does yeah it's a merit the last push and you can ask for help you race. can ask for help it is t- completely fine we're in this together yeah like, yeah and that's probably the other thing um there are going to be people around you who either outwardly just don't agree with whatever you're saying or don't understand what you're going through and therefore are communicating in ways that are not helpful for you mm-hmm. out of a lack of ignorance. Like people who mean well but say the most passive-aggressive stuff. So it's going to be really important for you as you end your PhD to uh, narrow your circle, <laughs> to surround yourself with people who aren't necessarily yes people. But ignore but... the haters. No haters. <laughs> You need people who are going to support you. So people who are like, hey, you sound really stressed. How about we go out for a drink or like, let me make you food. Um, People who are going to check you on feeling depressed, who can actually help you. People who say, I know you're smart. I know you can do this because there may not be people around you. What I'm really trying to say is that it's going to take a lot of mental energy and you're going to need that mental support from people Mm -hmm. to actually get through. I know for me, in my last year, my PhD, it was very hard. And I actually feel like I missed like months of my life because mm-hmm. I just got so depressed. I was just going through the, the motions of things, but not really enjoying or kind of seeing what I was doing. Um, and I was really fortunate to have some friends or people in my life who just kind of pulled me aside and said, Liz, just so you know, you're not acting normal right now. And it was like, it was important to kind of bring me out of this depressed state that I was in because I was not getting along with, with people mm-hmm. and it was very hard. So, so if you're trying to finish and you kind of feel like this negative pull on yourself, there's some things you can't separate yourself from, right? You, you're in a program, you got to do the program, but what you, but try to fix the things that you can control. And one of those things are your friends and your support network. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do everything. And you don't have to be around everybody, especially if they're negative things for you. Yeah. I'd also add, like, as much as possible, try not to measure you yourself against other people. Um, yeah. And also, like, I think also what's sort of dangerous is that sometimes a lot of tips for helping you for your dissertation or to finish the degree can come off as prescriptive. Like, this is what you have to do. And when you don't mm-hmm. do them, like, you punish yourself. 
Like, for example, I'm, I'm sure everyone's, a lot of people have seen this one book called, like, Write Your Dissertation 15 Minutes a Day. Oh, God. And I thought, like, oh, this is what I have to do. I have to change my work habits to, like, mold around this, like, model of success. I didn't do that. I felt terrible for a while, but I still finished. Like, I did, <laughs> I ended up, I did me. And I think that was what was really important. Um, like... It's like such a yeah. You know, I used to feel guilty about writing. Like Mm -hmm. I used to think I'm not good because I can't make myself write for that one hour a day. I can't Uh make myself do these things. And then I finally, recently, just kind of sat back and thought, okay, so maybe I'm not that kind of writer. But I have all these degrees. I have a PhD. So I'm, it means I'm successful at something. Mm-hmm. So maybe the way I'm doing it is the way I'm going to be doing it. And that's going to be it. Maybe I am going to be someone who writes in spurts, has mm-hmm. their ideas on napkins at dinner, goes back and, and does that, writes for like a few hours because I finally hit my stride. But then the next few days, like I got nothing. Yes. Totally. That's fine because it's ma- I've got me this far and it's going to take me as, you know, even farther. So I stopped tra- beating myself up for not, being what was in the articles I think that no that's such a great I love the way that you put it Liz like there seems like sometimes again the tips have this like idealized like vision of how you're supposed to be ideally productive like this is like you're gonna become this like scholar machine you're gonna produce this amount this amount (laughs) of time and that doesn't work for all of us and it and it's fine and that's also something that I've been trying to accept for myself that sometimes I just feel like wow, I'm like the laziest least organized academic ever and then like wait a second Mm -hmm. that's obviously not true as the second person in my cohort to finish, like obviously, even though my work habits don't look the same way that I was apparently like the quote unquote productive, like good mm-hmm. quote unquote graduate student did, I made the stuff work for me, trying to look after me the best I could, and it worked. Yeah, and it it will continue to work. Um, and so I think more and more I've been getting into what is my style like what is my natural body rhythm and let me pay attention to that and not be upset with my body or my brain just says like you're not getting shit done today Mm -hmm. because that means that if I pay attention to it I'll get something done the next day Mm -hmm. done the other point I wanted to bring up was Mm -hmm. to um the same way you have to reinforce your communication like actually having communication with your advisor um bring up the Collab- make sure that you um, remember your connection with your committee members. So I'm not sure how this works in humanities, but in the STEM fields, you have a primary mentor. It's probably the person you work for. And you have a list of committee members, and they make up the part of your defense. Mm-hmm. And they are the ones who are ultimately going to sign off on whether you get your, um, uh, your PhD. And one of the roles that they serve to be on your committee is to actually help you through that process. But also, in case stuff goes wrong, they are there to help you navigate disagreements or arguments. Not disagreements, not arguments. You shouldn't be arguing, hopefully. But disagreements you may have with your advisor. So they are the people. And in fact, the only real people who can help you when you are having issues with your primary advisor. When I, or when I've heard of other people as well talking about things, the thing I'd always hear and used to annoy me was, well, have you talked to your committee members? And mm-hmm. I would say no. And they say, well, there's nothing I can do, but your committee members can do something. They can have those conversations. They can say, oh, no, that experiment doesn't make sense. He or she is done. It's time for them to graduate. But 
even the DGS can't do that. Even the department chair can't really say that, but your committee members can. So you don't want, what you don't want to happen is, you know, or let, let me rephrase this. You want them to be on your team. You want them to be on your side, which means you need to communicate with them. You, you need to let them know what's happening. Let them know about the progress of your experiments and your research. Get their advice. Make them actual community members for you. Because if you don't take them along with you in this journey, there may be a time when you actually need them, but they don't know you and they can't support you if they don't know you. The fellowship of the dissertation. Sorry. Yeah, it's real. I think people underestimate the power of the committee. And when you're trying to graduate, they're the people who are going to be the most helpful to you because they're the only people who can really actually help you get to the front, get there. They sign the signatures. And in some cases, um, for some horror stories that I've heard of, in some cases, the primary advisor, like the one you're working with, isn't even the chair of your committee. And so there may be times where, so maybe my advisor and we're not getting along, but I only need three, I need the majority of my committee to sign off on my PhD. Mm -hmm. So if they don't want to agree, that's fine because I have the other members of my committee also signing off with me. Wow. Now that isn't something that you want to happen, but you don't want to not know your committee members. Yeah. You just don't. Oh, I was going to say, um, back to Liz's earlier point about surrounding you with awesome people. A thing I wish I had done sooner. In my last year at Cornell, I decided to organize uh, a teaching support group for women of color in my department. Some of you may remember like an episode a couple back about teaching well women of color that was some people in my group. I wish I had done it sooner. It was awesome. <laughs> like it was something that I needed that I didn't realize I needed in the same way like once I had it, you know, it just was became really nourishing to be able to come together, talk about pedagogy, but talk about what it's like to be a woman of color in the uh, in academia and I feel like it really helped to helped us to think through our work and our our lives and what it meant to be together and support each other. I was like, this was great. Should have done it sooner. Things have been better. <laughs> um, so if, if you're thinking on the fence about anything like that, be proactive, make that group, make, and it'll be awesome. It'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It is always helpful to make those spaces. And even if you don't want to make a whole group, Think about making a pact with a friend. So if you have someone who you know is writing at the same time as you saying, can we, can we, can we both write at the same time? Can we write in the same space but not talk to each other? Or can we share our documents? So would you mind reading my chapter, my dissertation, or my proposal? Having someone that you can be held accountable with or just share in that experience because not, not everyone's writing their dissertation at the same time. And so you can kind of feel isolated by that experience. Mm -hmm. Even if you're in a room full of people, it's a different process to try to finish because you're ramping down, you're saying no to things and you're trying to open up more space to write. And, and that can be a very challenging process. And I'd say also the flip side of that is that for some people, it may be that because you need some time away from the dissertation. Like for me, it was also really helpful, not just that I was, I had like specific like dissertation writing group, et cetera. I had friends like Liz who are kind of completely different field that I could unwind and have some, have a little bit of a break. So my brain and my body can give my, give myself some, a little bit more energy so I can go back to it renewed. Like that was just as important as the people who are immediately in my discipline or in my particular reading or writing groups. Cause that's yeah. how I work. Yeah. So, um, 
if we can sort of switch gears a little bit, one thing that you should be thinking about in the last year or so before you graduate is what do you want to do afterwards? And I say that because sometimes things that you want to do afterwards do take a little time. Um, so one thing that I kind of struggled with is finding or thinking about what I wanted to do. So I, when I graduated, I decided to explore both options, looking at industry jobs and also looking at the postdoc, the academic postdoc. Academic postdocs are comparatively easier to get and the time frame of when you're joining isn't as tight. So you could, I don't know, maybe two months before you got your defense, your defense date or something could say, oh, I'm going to, you get a postdoc job or you could apply for one. In industry or other things, you're going to want to plan, start looking at things a lot sooner because their time scale is different. Um, and also that said, I, I kind of, it got just like chicken and egg thing because I would want to apply for things and then they asked me when I was defending and I didn't know what I was defending. So then they were, they would say, we'll come back later. Um, but then I was also trying to base like when I wanted to graduate on when I need to get mm, a job. So sometimes hard. that can be a little tricky. So if you would just take a year ahead of time to think, and what I would suggest you do is not necessarily that you apply, but that you actually look at the jobs and then scroll to the job that you're interested in and scroll down and look at the qualifications and ask yourself if you have those things that, that are on the qualifications list. This will help you Think about whether you need to do any kind of training or maybe take a class or try to do some extracurricular um, activities that will help enhance your application. And that information is something that you would like to know at least a year out before you graduate rather than, like, let's say, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, two months before you're about to graduate, you're looking for jobs and you realize, oh, well, if I maybe I should have did an entrepreneurship activity or maybe I should have. Um, gone to more of those talks or maybe I should have written those things for a science writing, it would have been really helpful. So I think um, to continue on this topic from the humanities perspective, of course, another reason why it's so damn difficult to finish in the last year is that we're also going to be applying on the academic job market and for postdocs, which also go on the academic job market. So at the beginning of your last year, you already have to be looking at jobs. You already have to be applying. So even before your last year, I'd say that um, you'd, you should start thinking about it two years from finishing. You should start getting your materials together before the beginning of your last year because when September rolls around, that's when the job list goes live. Mm-hmm. That's when the postdoc yeah. list goes live. And so obviously that's also why it's so taxing because, again, if I can't emphasize enough, like the job market takes a lot out of you. And, of course, writing a dissertation takes a lot out of you, but you're expected to do these things at the same time, which is yeah sort of ridiculous. And... Yeah, that's why you need to you have to be kind to yourself because it is incredibly grueling. Yeah, and I think that I hope that for people listening, like, hope you get something out of it because I feel like there's something about the fact that Liz and I were so close to having done it that I still sort of feel like again the type of disbelief that I managed to to get through it because it was so hard. Um, I also feel that I've been talking to a lot of friends who are also in their last year and trying to finish up, and they're like. They've said like, oh, Zion, I look up to you like or like, I really hope that I'll be like you and finish. And I'm like, I didn't think I'd be able to be like me either. And I'm trying to tell these friends and I'll say to you now, if I haven't spoken to you, like, I believe you can do it. I know you can do it. Like, you can do this. Mm -hmm. It's somehow we have to just put our head down and like 
plow through. Um, but also, um, if I could bring up a slightly different thing, because we've been talking about Alt-Act for the last couple of episodes as well, it may be that finishing the PhD isn't for you, and that is also a fine thing and does not impact who you are as a human being. Mm-hmm. For many reasons, you may choose not to get your PhD because there are other avenues for you or academia is like really not the place for you and that is also fine yeah I think I think uh let's just say that when I was in my PhD maybe every day I questioned my PhD like I just didn't know whether I wanted to finish whether it was worthwhile to finish would I be happier not doing this because I definitely reached this point where I thought that I would be successful no matter what I did. Therefore, why am I still doing this PhD? What do I really gain from it? And even more deeply than that, how do I know the difference between being tired and burned out Mm. and, you know, wanting to do something else that didn't involve a PhD? I could never quite figure that out. And I imagine that might be very similar for some of our listeners some days. How do I know that I'm just not... I'm just really burned out versus this isn't the path that I want to be in. Yeah. And, and ironically, I question that less. It's mm. so weird, but I guess that means I made the right decision and <laughs> uh-huh. staying, but I'd also, I feel more uh, yeah. reaffirmed about trying to do about doing academia or in the, in the least, even if I don't become a professor, I still know that I can get a good job and do some really impactful research and cancer outreach with my postdoctoral experience. And I feel at peace with that. I think that there's also this other thing that because there's, again, so much push of um, finishing a certain amount of time, like it seems like the focus is getting narrower and narrower and you have to finish. And like, and because of that, you're almost supposed to embody like this perfect graduate student who's supposed to believe in it so much. And doubt is healthy. I think this is also like, as Liz was saying, like, Again, this is the way that academia often tends to be presented as a vocation. Like, you have to be born to it. You have to, like, really believe in it. That's not, like, it is a job like any other. Like, yes, like, you. maybe we care in slightly different ways. I don't know if that's, I think it's dangerous to talk uh, about academia as as if it were somehow different from other types of work uh, on a very basic level from anything from, like, unions to other things but anyway but another thing I spent is that the is, whole year saying i'm going to academia i mean i'm going yeah. to industry right remember yeah. our first podcast for the love of god you're like i'm getting I out swore, <laughs> yeah i swore i was getting out and so that was healthy to me that was me trying to explore how do i know what i want to do if i don't explore so yeah doubt is you being a good <laughs> academic because you're exploring other avenues Doubt is you questioning and being a critical thinker about your own life and what is good for you. So I think whatever path you take, that's the right thing. So don't don't self-flagellate about having moments of what seems to be doubt or crisis because it is actually a good good for you because you're going to be better for it. Yeah. So we hope that some of the tips and experiences that we brought up are helpful for you as you are nearing the end of your PhD. There's obviously a lot more that we could still talk about mm-hmm. and a lot more experiences that we have. But for those of you who are nearing the end or want to be nearing the end, we're here for you and the community of PhDs are here for you and you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Whether that's to the robe or to some other wonderful outcome. Yeah. We believe in you. You can, you can do it. You can make the decisions for your, yourself. You're going to be awesome. 
don't don't be afraid to ask for help and look after yourselves yes and don't lose sight of communication don't Mm -hmm. don't let go those lifelines to your your community yeah so this is the phd of this podcast please follow us on itunes soundcloud and stitcher you can also um, send us messages at PhDivaspodcast on Twitter and SoundCloud. And Zion, anything else? Oh, I'd also like to add, um, maybe we should remember to remind people this more often. Liz and I do this out of the goodness of our hearts. We don't get any money for this or anything like that. So your support, your likes, your iTunes reviews mean a lot to us because we're two beleaguered graduate students now at PhDs who are doing this in our spare time between all our other work. Because we know we feel that it's important for us and for other people. So we like to hear hear from you guys. We like to like, have that little like, that little support. It goes a long way. Yes, thank you for all of our listeners. We actually really appreciate it, and we hope that you get something out of this, just like we do. Yay! <laughs> Take care. It's really fun. Bye. Bye.